Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Thanks to you at home for joining us this evening. NBC News is reporting tonight that law enforcement officials expect Donald Trump to turn himself in at Fulton County Jail in Atlanta, Georgia, late next week, where he will be booked and processed on criminal charges brought by the DA down there, Fonnie Willis. Now, this is all expected to happen no sooner than next Thursday, which is one day after the first Republican presidential debate in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And on that note, NBC News is also reporting that after quite a bit of back and forth, Donald Trump has officially decided not to attend that first debate, which is being hosted by Fox News. Instead, Trump is seeking a sit-down interview with the former Fox News host, Tucker Carlson, as a means of counter-programming the Republican debate. This is not something that Fox and the RNC can be happy about at all. And it is shaping up to be yet another chapter in the long-running saga between Donald Trump and Fox News, the network that, of course, helped make Donald Trump president in the first place. Let me step back a little bit here. Do you remember the first time Trump ever participated in a Republican primary debate? It was August of 2015, and that debate, much like the coming one, was hosted by the Republican National Committee and Fox News. Megyn Kelly was one of the moderators. And when she asked Trump about some of the absolutely vile language he had used to describe women in the past, Trump was incensed. The next day, Trump took his grievances to air on another cable news network. She gets out and she starts asking me all sorts of ridiculous questions. And, you know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, uh, blood coming out of her wherever. After that, Trump boycotted the next Fox News Fox News debate because the network refused to remove Megyn Kelly as a moderator. But the war with Fox did not last long. When Trump became the Republican nominee, Fox very much went along for the ride. Megyn Kelly left the network, citing Donald Trump as the reason for her exit. And when that happened, the relationship between Trump and Fox was cemented. Since then, the network has shown Trump Undying loyalty. We saw that in the Dominion voting systems lawsuit, which cost the network more than three quarters of a billion dollars. Fox News hosts knew that Trump's election lies were baseless, but they continued to promote them in order to preserve their relationship with Trump and his supporters, even as Fox hosts were complaining about Trump behind the scenes. Tucker Carlson, while he was still a Fox News star, told a colleague at one point of Trump, I hate him passionately. I can't handle much more of this. And then referring to Trump's presidency, Carlson said, we're all pretending we've got a lot to show for it because admitting what a disaster it's been is too tough to digest. So Fox has been at the mercy of Donald Trump for years and as a result has defended and promoted Trump in ways that would have previously been unthinkable. And Fox is not alone in this. The same abusive relationship Trump has with Fox, he also has with the Republican Party. Over the course of his presidency, Trump effectively turned the Republican National Committee, the RNC, into his lapdog, 
Trump forced the RNC to cover hundreds of thousands of dollars of his own personal legal bills. At one point, the RNC spent $300,000 just to boost the sales of a book written by Trump's adult son, Don Jr. Trump even managed to get the RNC involved in his plot to overturn the 2020 election using fake electors. The chair of the RNC, Ronna McDaniel, told the January 6th committee that Trump and his lackeys called her up and demanded that the Republican Party assist with his plot. And according to the federal indictment, Ronna McDaniel kept Trump up to speed on all the fake electoring that was happening. So, a lot of work these guys have put in for Donald Trump. They have weathered lawsuits for this guy and criminal probes and public humiliation. You name it, they've done it. And now the RNC and Fox News are once again hosting a debate, a big ticket event that they are quite desperate to have him attend. And we know that because the night that Donald Trump received his third indictment, the New York Times reports that Trump was having a private dinner with Fox News executives who were trying to convince Trump to participate in next week's debate. And what have they gotten for all of this? Not just a sorry, guys, not this time. No. Trump is counter-programming their debate. He is actively trying to take audience away from Fox and the RNC. Is this what loyalty gets you in the Republican Party these days? If so, was all of the cajoling and lying and prostrating in front of Donald Trump, was it worth it? Joining me now is former Florida congressman and former Republican Dave Jolly. David Jolly, I find this whole series of events so utterly humiliating for these two, two institutions, Fox News and the RNC. And I kind of wonder, on the Trump side, do you think it was the loyalty pledge that all the candidates have to agree to that they will support the eventual nominee no matter who it is? Do you think that's the reason he's not doing this? I mean, when you look into the mind of someone like Donald Trump, a, a scary, dark place uh, I, though it may be, what do you see? Yeah, I think it might be better to look into his ego. I mean, I think this is raw ego and also the stature of a former president. Look, to your point, he not only humiliated, but he crushed the hopes of the RNC and Fox News today because the debate stage just simply won't be the same. Now, it allows more Americans probably to hear from the other candidates as opposed to see Donald Trump mop up the, the stage with his ego and his vanities. But I do think, Alex, it reveals something about Donald Trump's ideas going into next week and in some ways informs how he's looking at the contrast in this race. You know, Donald Trump has a couple options to counter program. He could lean into the chaos theory of surrender for arrest and own the news cycle with the mugshot and I'm a victim in the deep state and weaponization and all those arguments and drown out whatever's happening on the debate stage. But he didn't really do that. It appears he's going for the I'm going to sit down as a former president and I'm sure we'll hear the election was stolen and all those themes. But I think he's trying to set himself out as a, a candidate of one. There's only one Donald Trump. He's sitting down with Tucker Carlson as the former president and the leader in the race, and he's going to let all the kids in the sandbox have their debate. And then perhaps the next morning he owns the new cycle with chaos theory. But it's telling that he doesn't really want to lean into the indictment and arrest as the counter programming, which suggests that even Donald Trump knows that some themes of his candidacy just really are too hot. 
Well, in some ways, Dave, he's having his cake and eating it too, though, right? But we're hearing that the arraignment right. is going to be no earlier than Thursday. So in theory, he could step on the afterglow, if that's what you want to call it, of the debate by getting arraigned, which seems like, again, a very odd thing to try and sell yourself <laughs> with a, a criminal indictment. But nonetheless, maybe that's part of the playbook. I'm I'm sort of confused by the fact that he's choosing to sit down with Tucker Carlson, a man who said and in, is in a court filing saying, I hate Donald Trump passionately. To me, that seems like the sort of thing that would be unforgivable in the book of Trump. But uh, no. Well, again, he's transactional. I'm more surprised because how do you even watch Tucker Carlson these days? I mean, truly, how are how are the Republican super voters able to watch the counter programming that Donald Trump's trying to achieve? Um, and, and I think that's a fair question. Perhaps that's a misstep of the president. But I do think you you nailed it. There's a sequence here. He's waiting for the indictment and the arrest until the next day, because then who's going to remember anything that was said the night before? <clears throat> Donald Trump, what we do know is he knows how to own a cycle, and he puts issues in front of the country that simply have to be covered, right? The former president is being arrested and arraigned in a significant criminal trial in Georgia. That has to be covered. And whatever happens on the debate stage the night before really is an afterthought. Yeah, I mean, I guess I wonder what you think that does to the debate itself. I mean, beyond the fact that not as there, there certainly will not be the fireworks, presumably, that there would be if Trump was there. Does it really relegate the entire crop of presidential candidates to an afterthought, really, just the also-rans? I mean, at this point, with four, with 91 felony charges against him, the fact that he is the prohibitive frontrunner, so much so that he doesn't even need to attend the debate, really tells you something about the modern state of affairs in the Republican Party. It really does. And I think the data released by Ron DeSantis's super PAC this week affirms that, that you're not going to see data supported attacks on Donald Trump. You'll see the Chris Christie's and others who go at Donald Trump. But we also know that they're out of step with today's Republican Party, even if they're in line with with the right side of history. So I think what you'll see is all of the other candidates defend Donald Trump, be sympathetic. Maybe they'll take the position that, you know, he's too distracted or he hasn't won, but that would be the hardest hits. What the theme I'm looking for actually arose out of Kathy Barnett's Senate race in Pennsylvania when she was running against Dr. Oz and others, and she started to make a move and Trump hit her. She said, listen, MAGA doesn't belong to one person. It belongs to all of us. And just as you gave Donald Trump the opportunity to be a vessel for MAGA, I hope you'll consider me as a vessel as well. I think you'll see variations on that theme from every Republican. Sympathies towards Donald Trump, allegiance towards Donald Trump, but trying to pre present themselves as an alternative that perhaps could win and ultimately advance the cause for MAGA greater than Donald Trump could if he loses. Wow. MAGA vessels everywhere. One last one, Dave, in terms of Fox News. I mean, do you think we could force, is there a chance that Fox News actually I'm not going to say breaks with Trump because I know the answer to that question, but the, the sort of adoration parade maybe lessens to some degree in the coming months. Yeah, I think there's going to be a hit on the debate stage. I, look, their, their posture is going to be very different now because they got left at the altar after begging Trump to join. Trump flirted with the idea. But they know that this debate is simply not the same for the country or the party or their ratings without the front runner by 30 points being there. It's simply the, the undercard, if you will, of people trying to get into second place. And so 
Fox is going to stick with Trump for ratings and for profit and, and all of that, but they're also not going to take it lying down. I don't know what that hit's going to be. Is it something that the moderator delivers? Is it something that's done by the editorial board, you know, the editorial decisions within Fox? But I think there will be something. I mean, it's certainly an embarrassing turn of events. That's all I'll say. Former Florida Congressman David Jolly, thank you for your perspective, sir. Appreciate your time. We have a lot to get to tonight, including an up-close look at a Florida community whose history of racist violence is being whitewashed as part of Governor Ron DeSantis' war on woke. Plus, startling new tape showing one of the men accused of conspiring with Donald Trump to overturn the 2020 election at the Capitol on January 6th. That is next. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, Practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. This is the scene of a lot of hot action in Washington, D.C. these days. It is the E. Barrett Pettyman Courthouse. Now, if you're wondering to yourself, why does that name ring really distant bells? It is because that building is where former President Trump pleaded not guilty earlier this month to federal charges of attempting to overturn the 2020 election. And it is also where members of the far-right extremist group, the Proud Boys, will soon be sentenced for their role in the January 6th attack. The Justice Department has just announced it is seeking a whopping 33 years in prison for the former leader of that group, Enrique Tarrio. It is a staggering sentence and one that is all the more notable given what we learned today. A review of public source video appears to show Kenneth Cheesebro, the alleged architect of Trump's fake electors plot. It appears to show him on the Capitol grounds on January 6th. Cheesebro's presence was first reported by CNN, and in the video, Cheesebro is identified as the man in a red Trump MAGA hat right there, marching alongside conspiracy theorist Alec Jones. Alex Jones. Now, Cheesebro is one of Trump's 18 co-defendants in DA Fonnie Willis's election interference case down in Fulton County, Georgia. Cheesebro also appears to be co-conspirator number five in special counsel Jack Smith's federal election interference case. Cheeseboro is sort of everywhere, legally speaking. And while there is no indication that Mr. Cheeseboro entered the Capitol or acted violently on January 6th, this could greatly complicate his legal defense. As NYU law professor Ryan Goodman notes, this evidence could be cited by prosecutors as further proof that Cheeseboro was not operating as a bona fide legal advisor, but rather was an activist aligned in the cause to overturn the 2020 election. 
Joining me now is Christy Greenberg, a former federal prosecutor for the Southern District of New York, where she served as the deputy chief of the criminal division. Christy, thanks for being with me on this Friday night. I, I wonder if you agree with Ryan Goodman's assessment that the presence of Cheesebro uh, in the January 6th insurrection, though not acting violently, could be a real problem for the defense he's trying to mount in a federal indictment. Absolutely, it could. His lawyers are going to want to portray him as just a lawyer sitting in his office, churning out memos, setting out legal theories, and just offering potential options to a client. But his presence at the Capitol really shatters that image. This is no longer theory. This is action. He's not a dispassionate lawyer. He's got the red Trump hat on. There, he's filming as the crowds are getting rowdier and rowdier. He's in the presence of a known conspiracy theorist, Alex Jones, and he actually went into a restricted area at the Capitol as well. Um, so, you know, this shows somebody who is really personally invested in this corrupt plan to overturn the election. Uh, there's a reason why when investigators asked him if he was in D.C. in December of 2020 and into January of 2021, he pled the fifth. He knows this is, is damaging, that his presence at the Capitol that day is certainly damaging to any defense he's trying to mount to the charges. He's all over this video. I mean, he's not exactly a secret presence here. He's very much in and around some of the, you know, the big faces of the day, the bold-faced names, the Alex Joneses of January 6th. I got to ask you, though, the sort of the, 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 the notion that this defense, that effectively lawyers be lawyering, like they're just being creative if you're John Eastman or, you know, Mr. Cheesebro was just, you know, putting forth some legal theories as lawyers do. I mean, is that is that in and of itself a solid explanation in a court of law as to how the fake electors plot, for example, came to be? Does that does that hold as much water as we are led to believe it does? I don't think so. Even looking at the substance of the memos themselves and seeing how his theories evolved, from one where he mentioned, okay, this is just about the Wisconsin memo that's referenced in the January 6th indictment. This is just to preserve our legal options in the event any of the lawsuits are successful. That, okay, that seems like a, you know, a legal theory one could put forth in a memo. But then in the subsequent memos, it evolves and it really starts to talk about, again, more action, not just we're preserving our options, but how are we actually going to implement this fake elector scheme? Uh, and, and, you know, there's there's also an email that he sends in December of 2020 to uh, John Eastman, where he talks about the Supreme Court justices may be more inclined to act if they have reason to fear that there is going to be chaos on January 6th. Maybe they'll do something beforehand. All of that starts to take things into, again, not theory, but action, that this is a plan yeah. he wanted to implement and that it's an illegal plan. I do wonder, um, given that we're getting this Cheesebro news or this Cheesebro video footage or an analysis of it, the same day that Enrique Tario, the DOJ, is asking Enrique Tario to be sentenced to 33 years in jail, in prison, for his role in the January 6th insurrection, I mean, what do you think, what what does that portend as far as how aggressively the DOJ is going to go after the co-conspirators named in the federal indictment against Donald Trump? Well, it's interesting. If you look at the uh, the sentencing submission from the government, 
there is reference to the fact that a number of these Proud Boys leaders were really foot soldiers of the right. And are they really foot soldiers of the right or are they foot soldiers of Donald Trump? Isn't Donald Trump really the general here? And, you know, in, if that's the case, it, it's hard not to call out Donald Trump's own violence. Um, you know, there have now been three criminal cases in, you know, at least two of them. There's been a reference, you know, uh, in a bail consideration to whether or not one presents a danger to the community. Isn't the person who's unleashing this kind of violence a danger to the community. Nobody's argued that. Nobody's argued that he should be, that Donald Trump should be detained. But certainly Donald Trump and the unindicted co-conspirators not only thought about violence happening on January 6th, they knew about it. And again, even though it's not charged that they incited it, certainly many of their actions as laid out in the indictment, you know, strongly suggest that that's that that's what they did. You know, when Donald Trump is telling them, his supporters to fight like hell. And according to Cassidy Hutchinson, he knows they have they're armed. Many of them are armed and says, don't have any don't have any metal detectors. Leave them there and they're not going to hurt me. You know, again, like a lot of the a lot of the. um you know, the speech that was that was done at that time. Yes. Is it protected by the First Amendment? You know, I, I think it's a really tough question. I assume that's why the special counsel did not charge it. But that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be considered as to whether or not there's any kind of pretrial detention that should be appropriate for either the former president at some point in particular, if he continues with his intimidation tactics on social media of potential jurors of witnesses and of the judges and prosecutors in the cases. Yeah, I do wonder if he, the, the, the legal peril is really starting to dawn on him. The Washington Post notes today that Trump now adds my opinion or what I think to his claims about the stolen election. That seems like someone who's maybe actually listening to the advice of his lawyers. Well, right. And he was supposed to have a press conference on Monday where he was going to present a report, a 100 page report of proof that he actually won the election, which obviously we know does not exist. If there was such proof, he would have put it forth. His attorneys would have put it forth in the many lawsuits where the courts found there was no such evidence in any of the uh, select House Select Committee hearings. That evidence would have come forth. Uh, you know, the same with, you know, his lawyers met with uh, the special counsel before charges came down. If there was such evidence, that would have been brought forth then. And he also had an opportunity to go before the grand jury and present any evidence himself in the January 6th case, and he he declined to do so. So that, that evidence does not exist, and it seems like at least somebody has told him you know, this is going to be a Four Seasons Total Landscaping 2.0, <laughs> and uh, he should decline to do it didn't stop Trump from going to the actual Four Seasons this week. But the question is, how long does this newly leashed Trump last? Christy Greenberg, thank you for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you. Still to come this evening, we take a trip back to where this show began one year ago, to Ron DeSantis's Florida and to the small town that has become a symbol of DeSantis's quest to rewrite and whitewash American history. That is next. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance. 
while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. When this show first started a year ago, Ron DeSantis was in the middle of a successful re-election campaign for governor, but he was just beginning his war on woke. And as he extended his reach into public classrooms across Florida, transforming them into anti-woke battlegrounds, we followed, reporting on the effect of his new policies. When Governor DeSantis began policing language in Florida schools, We talked with teachers attempting to plan lessons where they couldn't teach about racism if any group of students felt discomfort. When DeSantis initiated a hostile takeover of New College, a small public liberal arts school in the state, we went there and we spoke to students and parents about the new trustees and their mission to transform the school into a model of conservatism. A year later, Governor DeSantis is attempting to rescue his struggling presidential campaign by spotlighting his latest crusade against black history. First, Florida rejected the curriculum for AP African-American studies. Then the Board of Education approved new standards for teaching black history, including mandating lessons on the personal benefit of slavery and requiring that lessons on certain race massacres include acts of violence perpetrated against and by African Americans. So once again, we went back to Florida, traveling to the small town of Ocoee, 12 miles west of Orlando, where the town's own history of anti-Black violence and its residents' ability to learn about it, where that is all under threat. The Okoye massacre was basically like a whole bunch of black people were killed because they wanted to vote and the white people decided to run them out of Okoye and kill them and burn their homes and stuff. And it was just a really horrible night. And I know like a lot of students, they don't know about that, even though we're literally in Okoye. I learned the Koi, like about the Koi massacre through Kenny. Exactly. Mm-hmm. She was like, we were outside talking. And she's like, oh, yeah, did you know that there's a scholarship for a Koi? And I'm like, what scholarship? And she was like, oh, the, the Koi massacre. And I'm like, the Koi massacre. Right. And she was like, yeah, they killed all the white people. And I'm like, they, they mm-hmm. what? I did my little research on it, and I'm just like, like, this is serious. Like, and it's crazy how, like, racism goes so far. It happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. Like, it's and in our face. It's happening. We still don't know about it, which is crazy. I wasn't taught it in school. Um, I think it may have been mentioned in AP US history my junior year, but even if it's at a slower pace, it still needs to be taught throughout the years of school because it's important. It is our history, especially as us living in Florida. In November 1920, the small town of Ocoee was the site of the worst election day violence in American history. 
Weeks before the election, Ku Klux Klan members held rallies and sent threatening letters to white Ocoee leaders who registered black residents to vote. The Klan promised, we shall always enjoy white supremacy in this country, and he who interferes must face the consequences. This is Okoe, and this is the Hallowed Ground Cemetery, which contains the bodies of at least 300 people, black people, who died during the Okoe massacre. Most of them burned to death uh, beyond recognition, so they were put in mass graves in this spot and uh, until recently forgotten about. The massacre was sparked by two African-American men who went to the polls to vote. It was about voting rights. There was good reason for white men to be afraid about blacks voting because it would change the balance of power in the South. And so Mose Norman and July Perry were refused the right to vote. A mob comes to July Perry's home surround his home, trying to find out what was going on and to bring him out to punish him for attempting to vote. And they killed two of their numbers through friendly fire, and it gets blamed on July Perry. There were headlines all over the country. Two white men killed in Okoye, blacks rioting in Okoye. It remains unclear to this day who killed those two white men, but those headlines about the death of whites at July Perry's home, diminishing the racial terror in that black community, those headlines would have repercussions both then and now. He was arrested and brought into Orlando where the Orange County Jail is. The mob followed him and took him out of the jail and hung him and left his body hanging for days as intimidation so that other African-Americans who would contemplate voting in Orange County would see what would happen. And a lot of what the Klan was trying to do, the KKK was trying to do, was to suppress the vote by using violence. And normally it worked. It worked pretty well here. The black death toll from that day is now incalculable. The remaining black population in Okoe plummeted after the massacre, and the events of November 1920 were largely forgotten. Until now. Since I've been governor, we've added to what type of African-American issue has been taught. For example, we did the, we, we have mandatory instruction on the election day riots, the Okoe election day riots in 1920. The new curriculum in Florida schools, championed by Governor Ron DeSantis, mandates that students learn about what happened in Ocoee. But only if that instruction includes acts of violence perpetrated against and by African Americans. It's an apparent reference to the two white men killed at Perry's home, and it obscures the fact that the massacre targeted black citizens. There have been comments about the, the, the depth and breadth of these standards, anyone who can read these standards, you can see the topics that are covered are in-depth and there's, there's nothing that is left out. The state of Florida and DeSantis today is officially blaming anti-white violence on blacks in Okoe, and it did not happen. It's a lie. The two white men who died here died at the, hand of, uh, at the hands of other white people. 
So we're here to try to correct that lie. If you take a massacre where a whole town was destroyed, houses were set afire, schools were set afire, Masonic lodges, churches, people who ran out of their homes were shot and killed. And those who didn't run out of their homes burned in the building. And if you can take something like that and have it focused on violence perpetrated by and against African-Americans, you miss the whole point. Good morning. Geraldine Thompson worked in the Florida education system for more than 24 years before she became a state senator representing Ocoee. I'd like to welcome you and thank you for your participation in this Speak Out town hall meeting. Thompson is now involving the entire community to correct the state's history standards. I want boxes of petitions that we're going to send the commissioner of education saying that we want factual, balanced history taught in our classrooms. I love the students. Every day I come to school, I come to work, I'm excited to talk to the kids. I'm excited to tell them what they need to know so that they can grow and make this country better. But they want me to lie to kids. They want us to ignore African history prior to the slave trade. They want us to try to hide Florida's ugly legislative history And I'm sorry, I'm getting upset. Um, I will not, in my classroom, both sides lynchings. It's not going to happen. While teachers in Ocoee and across Florida are struggling to teach students under these new standards, Professor Marvin Dunn is showing educators Ocoee's history firsthand. I am here because I wanted to bring Dade County teachers, active teachers, to these places in Florida where the state requires them to tell lies to students, like there was anti-white violence in Okoye. So we're trying to correct the record, not have our teachers feel that they have to teach a lie because the state requires it. Could someone tell me What's wrong with this marker? The problem with this marker is that it doesn't tell the truth of what happened here. It doesn't tell the truth of who's out there. This is hallowed ground. Calling itself a cemetery, this is not a cemetery. This is a mass grave. This is a mass grave. We'll take questions, comments, reactions, anything from anybody. Yeah, I'm a teacher at Miami Palmetto, at Miami, Florida, at Miami-Dade County Public Schools, and I'm telling all teachers, as you know, I wasn't hired to teach lies, and I will never teach lies. I am not a teacher who will teach lies, period. As for the students now back in school in Ocoee, they are determined to learn the truth about what happened in their own backyard, regardless of what the state of Florida says. 
even if our history is not being taught in schools, mm -hmm. I feel like it's our obligation to read about our history on our own. Uh, we have to do what our teachers are unable to do, our public school mm -hmm. teachers mm -hmm. who are being prohibited from teaching us what is real uh, by law. Their jobs are at stake. They are risking their livelihood. livelihood. Right. Exactly. Right, you can't right. pick and choose which ones you want and paint it, oh, history was oh beautiful, we helped the slaves, we did this, we're such glamorous people. No, you, you killed people, you massacred people, you took people from their homes, and that's like that. That's the that's hard truth. Happened. Like it hurts. Like it, it hurts. It really does because again, people still have wounds. Like the Koli massacre. Massacre. You you have the great grandchildren surviving, recalling the times of like it's trauma. But we have to heal as a nation. But we can't heal as a nation if, if there's we don't know. Right. <laughs> right. And if you don't acknowledge the past, it's gonna history is gonna keep on repeating itself. Right. So we have to stop now. It is not just happening in Ocoee, and it is not just happening in Florida. There is a national effort underway to erase Black history and dilute Black political power. That's next. The last time a tropical storm touched down in Southern California, Adolf Hitler had just invaded Poland. It was September of 1939, and Los Angeles saw five and a half inches of rain in a single day. That is about half of what Los Angeles averages a year in just a day. The LA Times reported that 45 people were killed by that flooding and another 48 people were killed at sea. Now, part of the reason that storm was so devastating was that at the time, Southern California didn't have its own government weather forecast office to properly warn locals about what was coming. Five months later, they set up shop. And now, today, more than eight decades later, the National Weather Service issued its first ever tropical storm watch for the west coast of the United States. That watch is in effect from the, from the southern border of California all the way up to just north of Los Angeles. The storm, named Hurricane Hillary, is currently a Category 4 hurricane with sustained winds of 130 miles per hour. It is expected to make landfall as a hurricane in Baja in Mexico, before slowing down to 50 to 60 miles per hour and becoming a tropical storm as it crosses into the U.S. on Sunday night. And for the first time in more than a decade, a high-risk warning for excessive rainfall has been issued for the low-lying desert region east of the San Bernardino Mountains. That means a high probability for flash flooding in places like Death Valley and Palm Springs. Stay safe out there, everyone. That is our show for this evening. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.